On this episode of Eager to Know, the importance of being specific in what you create and how film can be considered a total work of art. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. And let's ask ourselves some questions. What is space? What is nothing? Did you ever ask yourself those questions? What is space? What is nothing? What is everything? Well, this is where my formula comes in. X plus C equals zero. X equals energy. Z equals space. Zero equals nothing. Because X plus Z equals everything and everything equals nothing. That is the trailer for Future Language, The Dimensions of Von Elmo, a documentary by Lori Felker. Lori is a filmmaker, teacher, and artist. I don't know much about the filmmaking process, and I'm very curious about it. I love movies and documentaries, but it always seems like it would be very complicated to create something in this media. Film uses so many different forms of art together. Sound, imagery, composition. Lori was nice enough to come on Eager to Know and talk with me. I am very glad she did. I'm here today at Studio C in Chicago with my guest Lori Felker, who is a filmmaker, and my good friend Dan Kipp. So filmmaking as an art form, to me, seems like it's a little bit more complicated because it then other things such as painting or just being a vocalist because you're really reliant on a lot of different things mm -hmm. there's a lot of like modern stuff that you use for your creative expression is that a good thing is that a bad thing like tell me about that that is a good question to start with um it's a good thing and it's a bad thing and this is probably why i make a lot of different types of films because sometimes if you have the itch like if you're a painter and you have a vision or an idea, you can just turn to the canvas alone and immediately start to sketch or jot down an idea. Mm -hmm. But as a filmmaker, it's like if you only made Hollywood films, you know that if you have this itch or this idea, you're not going to see that thing for years or maybe at all, right? So I work in art film or experimental film, um, which kind of allows me to just forget about all of the expectations regarding technology, crew size, etc. And I can just pick up a camera that's sitting next to me and record by myself in my living room to kind of like make a small thought into a movie. Okay. And so it can be really easy and quick. It could be, I just, I made a film this summer that I had no plan on making and it was in the, a quick response to a friend's suicide and I just needed to write the poem, so to speak. And so I just shot a roll of film, had it processed, edited something, and it's done. And it's a five-minute, silent, poetic, short film. It almost sounds like a journal entry. Yes. 
Yes. Is that sort of how you see this experimental stuff? It's just something that you need to get out of you? Yeah, that's the way that's the way I treat that kind of filmmaking for sure. Like it's I just it's it's great that there are audiences who understand that kind of work and appreciate it, no matter how odd or lo fi or low budget or personal it may be. Um and so yeah, I can I can respond like a journalist or like a or like a journal writer or like a poet or like a painter, I think. I feel yeah. to me um with that type of filmmaking. And yet I also make like larger works. Like I made like a documentary that took me like 10 years to make. And I make short narrative films where I have to get like actors and you know, the right camera around and everything and that just takes time and it, the process gets stretched out, but And though it sounds like those are probably you're expressing different parts of your creative mind mm-hmm. with each of those different formats that you just mentioned. Is is that correct? Yeah. And I'm considering that all along the way. Like what, how, how bad is this itch I need to scratch? Like <laughs> if I need to scratch it like right now, maybe I don't want to make this passion feeling concept into a big movie, you know, cause I know that's going to slow me down and it's going to make it harder to scratch. <laughs> yeah, you know so, so it's like it's all part of that initial stage is like how big is the process mixed with how badly do i need to make it soon you know I, it's all like yeah obviously your filmmaking is a way of getting something out of you and expressing where did that start did you have things that well obviously you needed to have things that came out of you when you were a child and <laughs> express I assume that that was happening before you had access to filmmaking. Can you tell me about the relationship between having things inside of you that need to come out and when you started to realize that you could do that via film or or other mediums? Yeah, I had to learn that it was okay to let things out, I think. It took me a long time. I studied literature as an undergrad and I like thought I was just going to be a teacher. My dad's a teacher. And I think I inherited what it means to be a teacher. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll be a teacher. I just have to find a subject. And there was never a thought in my mind that I could or would be an artist. I don't think I really like drew or wrote any more than any other kid. Mm -hmm. Like I probably wrote some bad stories in high school or whatever, just pretty normal. Um, But I think I watched a lot of television, like a lot. My parents pretty much raised me by setting me in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I was, and I realized only now in retrospect or recently in retrospect talking to my sister or something, I realized that I was insanely engaged and feeling extreme feelings of empathy at a very young age watching like Who's the Boss and the Golden Girls. Okay. Like, I, I was in it, you know, I really love the Golden Girls. <laughs> There's so much Golden Girl stuff upstairs that I've, I have it on my mind. love me some Golden Girls. Uh, I'm a Dorothy, <laughs> in case you're wondering. I'm a Rose. <laughs> um, well, now that we've got that out of the way, <laughs> um, I, and so like, but I was like so in it and I didn't know that was weird or like, I didn't know that was unique that I was living inside of the television and not just watching a lot and zoning out. I was like really feeling it. But that meant I was like, well, that's nothing. That's just like who I am. That's just happening to me, I guess. And then I went to school for literature and I was getting the same thing out of literature. I started to see more art. I was getting, I was empathetically connecting with art. But then I was like, but I don't have permission to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I just, 
it's not how I was raised. My family's pretty conservative Christian and working class. Um, and very, my mom's really like hands on, like was a house painter and kind of stuff like that. So I was just like, it all had to be very practical. And sure. I just lived a secret life sort of in my head. Um, secret life in terms <laughs> of what you, like a, a secret of what you wanted to be or the way that you were viewing the world that you wouldn't share it with them? Yeah, probably more about the way I was viewing the world, that gotcha. I was like deeply connected to things and and um, daydreaming a lot. And like, where, did, where, did you grow, my head. where did you grow up? In... Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Bethlehem Steel. Yep, yeah. So like my family was a family of steel workers, like immigrants who moved over, half of my family. Did you um, go to Dorney Park a lot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again... The most important thing to me was seeing Hairspray for the first time and knowing that the, the carnival scenes were it shot in Dorney Park, Park. And I was just like, this is, I am Tracy Turnblatt. You know, like, I really, really felt I love that movie. It was a big one for me. And because even though my parents were really conservative Christians and we went to church three times a week growing up, they loved TV too. It was like, there was like this, like, okay area where they just like let it go and we watched it so movies like hairspray would be on tv and um i could just like i don't know i just like lived in that world right because otherwise you were i grew up being taught that you're on earth just to like sit through this and get to heaven okay there's no point in That's, doing anything so yeah. a creative passion would be like kind of a sure. waste of time but at some point <laughs> yeah but at some point something changed and was that creative energy was it when you discovered filmmaking or when did the actual i am going to create something happen and what were you creating i guess it was a gradual a gradual shift like going to college and being able to be myself alone like i had to break free from a lot of what i thought i was and what i had been taught like just shaking the religion off and voicing my own opinions and thoughts and then teachers and friends who started to show me cool old films like more films and stuff and and just realizing um that that there's no shame in wanting to be a part of the thing that moves you so mm -hmm. i was very moved by tv and film and i was like well why shouldn't i also want to like make it or do it sure that but, is but it major yeah yeah it was major and it was just but it was like i just slowly built up permission for that so it was like I was studying English so I could be like an English high school teacher, mm -hmm. which is pretty practical. And then started doing a little bit of film studies to like get closer to the subject I loved. Then left and just kind of worked a job, a day job, and um, started taking night classes in Pittsburgh in filmmaking because it was just my own money and my own time. And that, the first time I like shot with a camera and realized that I could make an image. Yeah. Just, it was just like, yeah, the well, more power I gave myself. Tell me about snowballed. that. What, yeah. Tell me about what, what kind of equipment were you using and what did you shoot and were you by yourself? I want to hear all about that first experience. It was mostly by myself in those early classes and I it was Super 8. Um, doesn't seem like that long ago. Is that year film? 2001. Yeah, Is... Super 8 film, the real little film. That so you have to ha have it developed. Yes. Yeah, so you would shoot this and you get like two, two and a half minutes or something like that or three depending on the frame rate. <laughs> and you shoot a little roll uh and it would just be like the assignment would be like go record a location you know and just get different sh types of shots and i would like pick a bridge and i was in pittsburgh pick a bridge in pittsburgh and just be like i am reanimating the world you know and it and, and then when it comes back from the lab and you watch it play back and time kind of speaks to you and 
you know, the architecture speaks to you. And it was just like everything I'd ever been interested in was now at my fingertips. And then the next thing I wanted to do was get people in there, mm. you know, because I loved Dorothy and Rose and I, <laughs> I loved voices and people and emotions mixed with I love architecture and I love time and I love, you know, so it was just like I can squeeze all of these things into a movie. And so there's this German word called it's Gesamtkunstwerk which is like a total work of art. And it was used way back in the day more so for things like opera, like the difference between like there's just painting, there's just theater, there's just music, but opera is painting and music and theater and fashion. And, you know, it's everything. It's a total work of art. And I was studying a little bit of German at the time, and I just got fixated on that idea that film was this Gesamtkunstwerk for me. So it sounds so corny to say that. No, that's <laughs> so pretentious. But that makes sense. It's and that's yeah. that makes sense. And that's kind of um, it didn't really come out in my first question to you. Maybe that's what I, I intended is that film to me is something that is um, like multidimensional, mm -hmm. like because it incorporates sound, it incorporates image, it incorporates color, composition, like a lot of the things that I have to deal with as a painter, it incorporates a lot of the things that the people I talk to as musicians, it all has to come together. Right. And that, and you're relying on all of these technologies and it sounds like it could be very exhilarating, but it sounds like it, it could also be, um, very rewarding. I do have a question for you about, what you think of the current situation with the ability for people to take image video on their iPhone. You know, you just described this process where for you to get a moving image, mm -hmm. you had to have this film and development and there's not this editing process, there's no effects, blah, 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 all the stuff that everybody now has available at their fingertips. Now, are you resentful that people have all this or what's your thought on it? No, I think because I've also I've been teaching now for like 15 yeah. years. And, and so every year it's like a new question about what what they have that I didn't have mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I um and there are things that I had that the generation before me didn't have, like the artists that I looked up to were editing tape deck to tape deck, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like super slow and very silly and clunky and bad quality, too. Um so for me, it's just, it, it, it doesn't matter that much. It's more about um, whatever tool you connect with. I think of them more as uh, like instruments. Sure. So you, one might be a guitarist and you connect with guitar and that's great. And maybe an oboe is harder to play than a guitar, which it is. And an oboe, yeah, or like a bassoon, like those are difficult instruments. But like if, for someone, it's just going to match, and that's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot more people play guitar than play oboe, <laughs> so there's and I I just think of it like that, and I don't think too much about like whether something's like too easy or harder or slows you down or speeds you up. Do you think the fact that these technology barriers have been broken down and that all of these tools are readily available. Do you think that helps the quality of the work of the output? Or do you think that it doesn't help it? Because what I'm thinking of you with your camera and your two minutes of film that mm -hmm. has to be developed, you are going to be extremely thoughtful about what you're capturing. Oh, yeah. Whereas someone with me with my iPhone, I don't have to be. Right. And I used to, oh, I used to get a roll of film back and I would cry if like one shot didn't come out because I would think about the money and the time lost and everything and you'd have to restage it. It was like, 
stressful, but that was another thing that proved to me that I wanted to do it because I mm. always wanted to fix it if something didn't come out, despite the cost. But uh, I mean, the quality thing is like, yeah, I think when you just have when the market's more saturated, then there's going to be more work out there of lesser quality because there's just more people making more people doing things that just too quickly or without conceptual thought. But I, I mean, I like really lo-fi stuff and really underground films. And so like quality is like kind of a, I don't even know what that means totally, you know? Um, sure. So I, to me, it's more about like, if the, if the, if the technology speeds you up so much that you don't have a good concept and you never took the time to like write a good script. <laughs> and so you're just like, oh, I can just make this really quickly. Then that's that's a problem, you right. know. But, um, if it's, but if it's just helping you get to the good quality, yeah. it's kind of like as a painter, you know, people used to have to mix pigments with oils and blah blah blah, um, and now you don't have to do that. Now you just buy a tube. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to make me a lesser output, you know, because ultimately it comes down to the, you know, the, right. uh, the whatever it takes to make a quality painting, right. wh whatever that may be. That's another podcast. Right. But, totally. but, yeah. but, you know, it has nothing to do. It's regardless of whether you are mixing your own tubes or not. Right. Um, so I do, oh, can I tack onto that, too? I do think what, what's more important about the, the easier, more available technologies is that it it uh, adds diversity to the conversation mm. because it's more more people of varying incomes yes. can make films more people of varying voices like you no one you don't have to go to hollywood's door and say can i make this my dad was somebody yeah. okay let me in i'll open the door someone else can actually just like just do it themselves and say the thing they need to say and get it out there on youtube or whatever tomorrow isn't that amazing and and, and it turns sometimes that turns into really beautiful yeah. experiences and so that is like that is way more important than the fact that there's low quality movies out there. Yeah, know? I think a lot of people, like younger people, I don't even know if it's technically younger people at this point, don't realize that what you used to be dependent on to get work out there, like for musicians, you used to have, the only way to get music in front of people, recorded music was like on a pressed album or a cassette, mm -hmm. and you need a record, record company. Mm -hmm. Now you can put it on whatever, Spotify. The same thing with publishing. Now we have self-publishing. You used to be reliant on all of the, I guess it was just big companies mm -hmm. that were all businesses. They weren't even necessarily creative people probably making the decisions. Right. And now you can put, anybody can put anything on YouTube, and it's really amazing. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely for the best, I think. I watched your documentary, Future Language, The Dimensions of Von Elmo, and I didn't know anything about this artist. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about what that project was about? Yeah, so actually, um, early on when I had just started filmmaking, I had heard music by this musician, Von Elmo, and I loved it. I just thought it was like weird and wild, spacey punk rock, and, I, I, and this was like super early on in me being anything close to a filmmaker. And I just thought, someday I'm going to make a movie on this guy. But he was, like, not easy to find. And there were all these rumors about him. And he seemed self-destructive and confusing and, like, an eccentric weirdo who was kind of lost. That sounds like a perfect subject matter for a documentary. I know, right? <laughs> and then um, and then fast forward, like, 10 years or so, and I had a friend, the musician Weasel Walter, who was a Chicago guy for a long time, and he's in New York. 
And I knew that he was kind of like dealing with that scene and that time um, that Von Elmo's from, like the late 70s New York scene. Um, and I asked Weasel, I said, have you ever met that guy? And he was like, actually, yeah, he's out of jail, just fresh out of jail. And I met him at a party. He's real weird and interesting. You want to meet him? And I was like, yes. And then just like happened. And then like within a month or two, I was in New York meeting him at um, his collaborator's house. And it was just like, I just like, I felt like I was performing. Like I was just sort of like, hi, I'm Lori. Let's make a movie together. And he was just like, this is amazing. Because he's kind of an outer spacey guy. He says he's an alien hybrid. And you kind of have to just play that game when you're with him. And um, I was just like, oh, I love this guy. This is amazing. And I don't know what I'm doing. And it was just, it just like rolled out from there. And because I'm not a documentarian normally. I think we talked about me being more of like an art filmmaker. Yep. Yeah. And so we just, um, I just met up with him over the years and recorded him and, and put this documentary together that's kind of about how we related to each other and also tells his story at the same time. The thing that I came away with, well, well many things, but the big thing was that you had to go into something like this not knowing where it was going. Yeah. It wasn't like you could have a project plan or a creative brief of you know the type of material that you wanted to get and the story that you wanted to tell. You obviously went into this having absolutely no idea where it was going to go and if you would get anything. So I guess my first question related to that are you comfortable doing that type of thing? Mm-hmm. Or was that outside of your comfort zone? It was definitely outside of my comfort zone, but also in my comfort zone. Like, I think creatively or like f- the way I work with films to work with like short-term ideas, journal entries, so to speak, or um, to kind of experiment with some current thought or event in the world and make little pieces that's normal to me, you know, like, just like if you take all my short films and put them in uh, a compilation, that could be like a feature (laughs) about like a year of my life or something like that. And so like, reacting to the to the real world and making something weird in response made sense. And this will make more sense in a second, I think. Um, But dealing with someone who's volatile and confusing and surprising and wonderful too um and not knowing how i was gonna feel about our relationship or what i even i don't even i guess i didn't really even know what it was going to be in the end i I just kept disappointing myself because i would think one day i'm making a rock and roll documentary and then the next day i was like i don't know if i'm capable of that he won't return my calls or like it's been hard to schedule interviews and then it would be like i'm gonna well i'm gonna plan this out and we're gonna do this together because a lot of documentaries have like a script or mm-hmm. an agenda. And I would be like, I'll do it that way. I'll, I'll write this out and I'll figure it out. And then I would start to kind of act that way or get him to talk to me that way. And then he would like just like he would I'd give him questions and he would like throw them away like dramatically or something <laughs> and say something else. And then I would be like, do I really even want to do that anyway? Like or do I want do I want to just record what's happening to me, which is this big confusing mess and yeah Uh, yeah i kind of feel like the documentary was a little bit about you and your experience of dealing with this person yeah it in there was a certain point early on when i was editing together some of the interviews and i was working with like another editor 
he looked at it and he was like, well, first thing you got to do is get yourself out of here. Like nobody likes documentaries with the documentarian in them. And I heard that before. And sometimes I feel the same way. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I started to get myself out of it. So I was just like, meaning, meaning in frame. Were you yeah, in frame? Making sure I wasn't in frame. My voice wasn't in it, that I just wasn't a person in it. Because you weren't in frame maybe once. I, yeah, just I, it's just a very little bit. Or you'll see like my arm or my foot <laughs> or something. He meant like just get your, just you shouldn't be a presence at all. Like we okay. should just be, that was his like advice. Okay. So I started to do that and uh, and then it actually stopped me. I had a hard time working on it for like a, a year and I couldn't figure out why. Um, and then when I went back to it and I started watching the footage again and I found footage where he kind of talks to me through the camera to me, not as like an interviewer, but he sort of like hits on me through the camera or like I can tell he's the camera's not even there for him. And there was a me. connection. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is this seems like really fruitful. It's more interesting than who cares about this guy's rock and roll story <laughs> that everybody has a rock and roll story. But the fact that he's like charismatic and dark and invasive and eccentric is more interesting. And it's best revealed through the the way he's talking to me. Mm-hmm. So I have to include myself. And then it felt after that, too, it felt more ethically correct to tell it from my point of view sure. so that I never had to say I never I never declare a definitive fact in the movie. It's always like, this is how it seems to me. I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) What was your overall takeaway? Like as a filmmaker, Mm -hmm. what was your overall learning and takeaway of that experience? I think just to slow yourself down or for me to slow myself down and make sure that whatever I do is ethically correct for me and make sense to me not to follow any other rules okay that was important to me and i think because i mean i mean you can look at that even conceptually with him being like a a punk artist you know and being like i follow my own rules and that's kind of his attitude and there was that existed from the beginning like i like people who don't follow their own rules i like punk rock whatever but then i as a documentarian i was just sort of like well Maybe I also need to start breaking rules like while I'm editing and while I'm shooting and while I'm asking him questions and like do this my way so that it feels like authentic and I can stand behind what I do, even if it's not. Because the documentary world is pretty rule-based and structured. Like there's, you know, people teach you like how to do it right. <laughs> but that's how everything is nowadays. I know, right? Everything yeah. is now, there is the way to do it. Right. Even a creative thing like a documentary. Right. And someone will, something will break through that's broken a couple little rules, but it still follows the general form and people get all uppity or, you know, we just discuss it to death as to whether or not they did it right or wrong. And I'm like, well, why does it need to be right or wrong? I'm just going to do it. Not right, not wrong, but Lori. <laughs> and that, that helped me a lot. And so I feel like now um, the short films I've finished since that came out, it's just much easier for me to just be like, well, this is what I want to do here. This is the move I want to make. Even okay. if it's weird, even if I think people won't understand it, it just feels right to me. And I'm letting myself do that a little more. Now, is the short film avenue something that you want to stick with? Do you have a vision for yourself creatively of something different from that? Can hmm. you tell me a little bit about where you where you see yourself going if it's different from what you're doing now? 
Um, yeah, I feel like short film, the short film thing is always available because of this like journal need, you know, this desire to like get small ideas out and, um, there's places to show short films like film festivals and online and stuff. I think that's always going to be there, but I do think the progression of my career is going to be to move into feature films that are actually, that are fiction. Um, I don't really think documentary is a great place for me to stay because I feel so like ethically weird <laughs> and just I'm too just questioning all the time. Like, should I be asking this question? Should I should I be showing this on film? This is someone else's story. I just like that was like really hard for me to do, and so I don't want to step into it again anytime soon. But fiction, I feel I feel like I've been writing more narrative fiction. So, what does that mean? Does that mean you have? stories that you're creating and writing mm -hmm. and you would have someone else film them or you would film them or like how does that all work like yeah. is the nugget uh, is is it about getting the, is it driven by stories that you have or is it driven by expressing a story whether you wrote it or not this is a good question coming from i mean i feel like filmmakers take things for granted in this kind of question realm but yeah it's I guess there's different layers of engagement there. I would see myself as writer-director. So I would write the, write the script, um, and I might hire like a camera person and hire a sound person and hire actors and hire a producer, but then I would also direct the film like on set. So my voice would be present in both the text and how the actors perform it. Whereas you could also write scripts and then sell the script and just have someone else make the movie, or you could only direct and use other people's material. There's so many different combinations, but I would probably be writer-director. So when you're the director, mm -hmm. that just means that you are the creative person behind the whole thing. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. You're like the, like ultimately you're the singular vision that everyone has to come back to on set. So, yeah, if there's like a production design, like a set designer or and there's an actor. They review a, it with you. Yeah, they'll, they'll like no one can make a new decision without checking it with you and your original idea. Because ultimately you're responsible for what gets on the screen. Now, what does a producer do? That varies quite a bit. So like Tom Cruise, like executive produces like everything he does. And that's partially that he puts up the money to make his own action vehicles. <laughs> um and to executive produce is, has a lot to do with just like money and like I say this is happening. So it's like a power. money thing. So it's more like a project manager. Well, there's and that's I'm... like the high end of producing. So you can be a producer who finds money or gives money and manages from that like super high level end. Or a producer can be someone who's like carrying around a clipboard and making phone calls all day, like ordering lunch, making sure the costumes showed up. So there's, there's like a lot of levels of producer depending on how large the. But the it is not a is. creative role. N n uh, not technically, no. Okay. I mean, you would say like everybody can use their creativity in some way, but yeah. So all of the creativity comes through that goes through the director. Yeah, and then the director could use like there's like the head of the camera team and the head of like set design and the you know the head of you know all the, the sound even and those might be very creative like helpful people and they could you know work together as a team um so why wouldn't you just want to be a painter where it's just <laughs> you and a paintbrush that's and a, a palette that's like this sounds so 
complicated I and know. it sounds like so many people and money and time yeah and then you make this movie mm-hmm. and you spend all this time on it and then people review it and trash it i know that sounds horrible that's why I when know. i go to movies <laughs> and i i hate when people i when i go to movies i'm very generous about whether i like it or not like right. i always say that i like it because that is what i'm thinking i guess it's because i used to be a project manager yeah so when i'm seeing all this stuff going on in the green i'm literally thinking how much work this was Mm -hmm. to pull all of this Mm -hmm. together and obviously everything is very thoughtful people are probably trying really hard to do the best job and to do what they think creatively is accurate or is you know good right and then people come and trash movies right and it must be so hard but you're you're down for that right yeah i mean you guess you just have to really believe in it and then feel like and you don't want to lose control along the way so that the final product is is at least what you wanted but i think i think earlier you said something that like kind of is jumping back and leading to the answer to this question which is like when you if let's if you make a big project that involves a lot of money time people and it's I mean, even whether or not it's good, but when it's out there, it's so big and there's so much, so many people can watch it at once in a room that you're sitting in. So even if you have like one painting and there's a packed gallery of people, they're wandering around and they're not all, the way we treat a screen, the way we're all sitting in a chair looking forward, there's just... I, I, you know, I took a hit of that drug a while ago <laughs> and I'm addicted. Like there's just something amazing about of people seeing your stuff of like, yeah. And like, and see, and just like the way that a cinema works, I'm, I'm sure it's similar in theater and stuff, but the way that people are kind of like in rapt attention for this thing that they're all focused on. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes even if it's negative, it doesn't matter. But if it's, there's just, and you know, you're like, if you have something to say that's the most important thing and you know you're saying it to this room of people and that in this day and age it can be easily shared with many others really quickly like online or something yeah and you can also be very clear and explicit about what you're trying to say unlike a painting where you people may not understand what you're trying or even a song people Mm -hmm. may not understand i feel like because you have all of these components you know music sound time time, and dialogue and script um i feel like you can be very clear about what you're trying to say yeah yeah and the and the type of clear you want to be and you can use so many different elements to enforce that thing you want to say like if it's you can work with sound you can work with color you can work with the actors you choose you can you know there's it is really it's a flurry it's like this whole big crazy snowball but then it's really exciting at the far end of it and i just i can always go back to how a great movie makes me feel you know and i would do this with music but i'm totally not musically talented like because i love music too (laughs) so i have my friend dan here dan do you have any questions so how many like journal entries do you do a year and are they planned out like or is it just like i just saw something horrible in, in the news and I need to make something right now. I think it probably shakes out to like one a year, but I've had flurries. Like I've through four short films that I've finished since May this year, which is crazy. That's like a lot. And they're all pretty different from each other. One was a commission. Like they asked me to work with footage from a particular archive. Mm. And I made a piece about, uh, there was a, there were four artists, two Russians and two Americans who all worked from footage from the Media Burn video archive. 
and we made videos responding to the theme of fake news, however we saw fit. And so you see some of the material repeat. So that was like a commission as part of like an art project. And then um, one was in response to the, the, the death of a friend, the, specifically the suicide, that I just like could not process until I started to work on this film. I mean, I can pro- I'm still not done processing it, obviously. But every time I was editing, I was crying. It was like a totally different feeling than any other film I've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. And then um, another short film is a like a narrative short that I shot with me in it and my daughter when she was 10 months old, it plays my baby. And it's like a mother and baby at home. And I was like, I needed to make that because I was in it. I was living it. Mm-hmm. And I was with her for months on end. And I was just like, this is interesting to me. I think other people might want to see the way I'm seeing this. Yeah, like Definitely other people are home with their children. Male and female, right? And... Yet I was like, but I'm seeing this a certain way and I want that to be a conversation. So I started to record it and made a short film out of it. Cool. So it's kind of like, yeah. Now, are you sharing it in a place where people can comment and you can have a conversation about it? I will eventually. They're they're all like in the very final stages of editing. And so okay. I'll start, it usually starts with like submitting to film festivals and hoping for like a good premiere and like a year long roughly run at film festivals. And then you end up like putting it online and sharing it, which is like a whole other life. Of the films I worked on this summer, only one of the one that's the narrative with me and my daughter, I actually shot, I would set up the camera and I'd have it like hooked to the TV so I could see what the framing was and just like walk in the frame and like perform with her. So I'd shot most of it by myself. And then there's a something that happens where like a neighbor comes downstairs and interrupts our day. And so, so I have one other friend acting in it and then like my husband like recorded some sound but other than that it was like largely by myself so yeah even that but otherwise all the other ones were completely by myself what is the the time frame from because it's like you you it's not like an immediate gratification because you're still editing you're still so it's like you get everything out and then there's this drawn out time of like i need to make it right i need to find a, a home for it somewhere mm-hmm. and do you feel bogged down by that process yes. or is it just <laughs> something you you just have to get used to hurry up and and then wait yeah it is it's a it's an annoying process and it takes a while especially if you're like aiming to premiere it at a particular film festival you have to wait for their schedule to come around <laughs> to submit it and then that festival happens at the same time every year I don't always do that, but a lot of filmmakers do. Like you wait to premiere at Sundance or, you know, Toronto or some one of the big film festivals or something. But even still just, yeah, that process of like, I might shoot a roll of film or shoot some video. And then by the time I like am seeing it when it comes back from the lab or when I've opened it up and put it in my timeline and I'm looking at it, there's some instant gratification there, hopefully, right? Where like, okay, I'm capturing it. That's part one. But then there's usually, you usually get into like despair and loss somewhere while you're editing when it's not immediately coming together like magic. And you realize you have a lot of work to do and rethinking to do. Mm-hmm. And often you're, even this is true of like Hollywood films, big, big ones, often you're writing and planning big pieces of it that end up getting deleted that no one ever knows about. Like I, one of my short films from the summer had a whole like voiceover component that's gone and now it's just quiet. 
and it's it just was the right move to make but it took me a couple months to figure that out and okay. I had to like admit it to myself that I didn't need to verbally say what I wanted to say okay yeah so you just go from like I can't figure this out at all it's a puzzle okay and that puzzle takes time yeah you talked about your background being very religious and a potential plan for you that was very different mm -hmm. from what you ended up going on um, moving forward with and where where did you go to college did you go to in a city uh no no uh i'm like what was that place um the indiana university of pennsylvania okay so you were in yeah. a rural area <laughs> yeah like it's like an hour away from pittsburgh okay yeah. but ultimately you ended up your view of the world is very different than probably your family members yes. i would assume how does that work for you with them uh when you go back home you're a very different person than obviously you were as a kid but it sounds like you have very different experiences from all of them. Yeah. How does that work with your relationship with them? It kind it kind of, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm, this part of me is sort of just not that well acknowledged um, that I'm a filmmaker. I'll tell you one little story that's Because they don't understand funny. it? A little bit, yeah. Sure. Like even though a lot of it's available online now, it's also weird for me because I, you know, because, you know, some of my films might have like, you know, a curse or maybe a character curses in it or <laughs> um or it's you know very experimental looks more like a painting than a movie or something like very abstract and that's a weird thing to just say here deal with this you know and you have to sit with it in time which is hard for people to do if they don't like a thing they want to walk out mm -hmm. as opposed to yeah you might see a painting you don't like and you just go uh and look away and it's over and it doesn't feel um, you like you're trapped for 15 minutes or something. So there was one moment where I was talking to my mom on the phone and my sister is very creative and talented and she's a florist and she makes uh, quilts and things like that. Great eye. And my mom was talking about how proud she was of her work and the stuff she had on Etsy and everything. And she was like, she's doing so great. And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. And my mom says, she's so creative. Are you creative? And this wasn't that long ago. I had already <laughs> gone to grad school and shown at film festivals and around the world. And I was just like, ha, ha, do you mean crafty? And I just sort of corrected her word. And she goes, I don't know. You know what I mean. And I went like, maybe. And I, we just, it just like, and that's the way we talk. And it kind of stopped the conversation. But I was just sort of like, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and be insulted because I know it's a misinterpretation of creativity yeah. in me. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Do you think that these experiences that you've had doing films and the people that you've met, do you think that has helped you understand the people that you grew up with in your family in a different way? Be and the reason why I asked this question is because I thought one thing about my childhood and where I grew up and as uh and this is probably just a part of getting older and growing up. I don't think you have to be a filmmaker. Right. But ultimately, as you view the world, you really see your childhood and all of those things that you thought one way, you, th you see them in a different way. But I think probably exploring a creative life like we do, mm -hmm. I think it in, um, affects that differently. What is, what is your thought on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think maybe it has something to do with like, because even when I was just, when I was studying literature and language and film studies and stuff, I, you just constantly, 
philosophically, emotionally, historically thinking about why people make things, why they say things, why they put words on a page, um, and what it means, like just all the time. So it's create. It was like I had a basically I had a degree in critical thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and that I was not. We did not discuss stuff like that. We watched things. And they were just entertaining, mm-hmm. and then it was over, and that's pretty normal. Um, and I think that I just realized that I just learned by going to college and by the, I just learned how to start to talk about it more and open it up and explain it and question things and contextualize things. And why would they be doing that? Like they didn't stop and go to college when I did. They didn't stop and like change what they were doing. They grew up as the same people who watch TV when they come home from work to relax. And that's that's fine, too. Um, and then I think that also relates to why I, I do kind of find faith in filmmaking for myself because it can actually get to them in a certain way because they are watchers. Everybody's kind of a watcher, of, you know, like 99% of America. Do like, you mean eventually? Like, event, or... like eventually there's going to be some... And there was, there is a short, the one short narrative I made where it's like a couple, it's like two people on a couch talking, you know, that one was the easiest one for them to watch and they kind of had a better, more verbal response to it, you know? Um, and the con, oh, yeah, I don't know. This is a big question. <laughs> I've got a lot of like family issues regarding creativity, I think. Okay. Yeah. It sounds, <laughs> we don't have to get into it, but no, that makes sense. Lori, can you give people that are listening a couple tips about being creative and how to do creative right or doing it? Um, one of the things I w- would say is that you should, you just got to do it. You got to do the thing you want to do. You'll get better at it. Don't tell yourself that you can't do it or you're not it. Don't say, I'm not a writer because I'm not Stephen King or whatever. Just write. And then, hey, hey, right there, if you wrote anything, you became a writer. Being a published writer is a different thing than just being a writer. I think people give themselves permission in other fields like everybody likes to you know a lot of people like to cook at home and you might casually chat and be like oh I'm a pretty good cook or like I like to cook but we don't say like I'm not I can't or I'm not a cook or I'm like I'm not allowed to because I'm not Emeril whatever his last name is what's that Lug- Lugosi <laughs> I always want to say Lugosi like Bella Lugosi um yeah that's that's a really good point I've never heard anyone give that example oh but it's yeah that's a great example it's true there are things where we're allowed to you're allowed to be like an avid cyclist and buy all the nice stuff and you don't and and you you consider yourself a cyclist even if you're not lance armstrong but in the arts it's like if i don't make it big and get money and have a gallerist or have a you know producer or something it's like i'm just not a filmmaker so give yourself permission to be the thing that you perform and perform it so you have to do it. <laughs> um, what else would I say? Well, that is a good one. There's one that I often talk to my students about, and it's that um, it's also okay to be specific when you're creating your art. I feel like my students are often afraid to be too personal or too specific to like quote things they've understood or known or said um, because they think, well, who's going to be interested in that? I need to do something really broad and universal from the start. But I actually believe that specificity is the most universal thing, that like the vantage point from which you see something that maybe even only you can see 
once that's shared, other people will find a connection with it. Does that make sense? It makes sense. As opposed to like just because I feel like in, in filmmaking, it's like a, an easier way to think about what students will just write like a, a cheesy narrative comedy, like in the style of all other narrative comedies. And a young student will like write, rewrite exactly what happens in like a Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> just, you know, and just change the words and like move the scenes around um, because they're like, well, people already like this and everybody laughs at fart jokes. And so it's all universal, whatever. But if you write more so from like something that you know really well and then and very and you can be very specific about it can be i think more authentic and then people are going to be more interested in it and find how they connect with it you know what i mean i know exactly yeah, what okay. you mean and I'm, <laughs> and I'm immediately thinking how i can apply that to my paintings yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know i think we i think it's it's a trap. Like we 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 want to make things. Com- Maybe it's a, it's even related to the idea of being commercial or generalist. Just like more people will buy this thing if it's recognizable and familiar. And so I'll just do this. I'll paint. I saw some of your amusement park paintings, which I really like. But like if you painted an amusement park that just said amusement park instead of Wonder Wheel on the Wonder Wheel, you know. And it's like, well, that way anyone will hang up this picture of generic amusement park. But it's like, no, the Wonder Wheel may not be my wheel, but I know what that title means. It means that's your specific hometown Ferris wheel. Or, you know, we can, we, we do the translation ourselves. The audience translates the specific to the universal. And it's like more powerful and interesting. I think that way. Thank you. Where can people learn more about all of the things that you have created? I have a website, which I have not updated in a little while, but it's pretty updated. So my website's Felker, my last name, F-E-L-K-E-R, comma, Lori.com. So it's the word comma spelled out instead of actually being a comma. I don't know why. It's a handle that I came up with a while ago, and I'm stuck with it. Felker, comma, Lori.com um, <laughs> is where I have, like, most of my stuff uh and I should update it. This is reminding me. It's just a teeny bit behind. Yeah, that's probably the main thing. Well, great. Well, thank you very much thank for you. hanging out with me. This is wonderful. Yeah, thanks. This is great. And thank you, Dan Kipp, as well. Thank you. My name is Ricky McGuckran, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 